Good morning. My name is Robert Norris, and this is the basic canning class for AdAgra. Um, and this is the second recording um, that will be the complete recording for uh, what we weren't able to cover on the first recording. So welcome. How many of you are new at canning? So <clears throat> I see there's a few of you. Awesome. It's good to see you. Uh, how many of you have been uh, doing canning for um, maybe years and have done quite a bit of it? Uh, there's some of you as well. So I don't know if you've ever noticed, but food often comes in waves. It's the natural order of things here on earth now that we rarely get a steady stream of natural foods year-round. So we must consider how to save that food for later use. And there's many ways to preserve foods, but today we want to look at canning. <clears throat> this year, uh, we've harvested over 300 pounds of Honeycrisp apples just off of one of our dwarf trees. That is a lot of apples. Uh, you know, what do you use 300 pounds of Honeycrisp apples for? <laughs> uh, well, you can make a lot of applesauce on 300 pounds. Uh, we actually didn't do too much applesauce this year. Uh, we did a lot of juicing and some drying. But, uh, you know, again, you... You, you have one harvest of apples, for instance, and you've got all your apples. You need to learn what you can do with it so that you have those apples available in some form uh, year-round. So we're going to talk about two basic methods of canning, water bath canning and pressure canning. There are other methods of canning, other areas that we just don't have time to cover, there's steam canning, that's uh, very interesting. And then there's uh, dry canning, which we just don't have time to go into those other methods. We're just going to look at the basics of water bath canning and pressure canning. And bear in mind, this is just an overview. We can't give you everything in 60 minutes. So maybe just sort of sit back and uh, take a few notes and just we'll, we'll run through this and you can get a, a big picture look at the whole thing. <clears throat> so what's the difference between water bath canning and pressure canning? Well, the difference is safety. Water bath canning is used to heat treat high acid foods at 212 degrees, which is boiling. This would include most fruits, jams, jellies, pickles, and tomatoes. These fruits, or excuse me, foods, are really only vulnerable to heat-sensitive organisms, so the the the, the bacteria and the, the, the things that uh, give us sickness, they're not going to survive well, number one, in an acidic environment that is heated up to 212 degrees. So, so we can water bath can most fruits, uh, like I said, jams, jellies, pickles, and tomatoes. <clears throat> now, when I said high acid foods, that means foods with a pH of 4.6 or lower. If you uh, remember back in the uh, days of high school chemistry, the pH scale goes from about 0 to about 14, with 7 right in the middle being neutral pH. 
So just to throw out a couple of numbers there, baking soda is very basic. It has a pH of about 9. So that's tending towards the higher part of the scale, whereas vinegar has a pH of 2.5. So that's down more towards the acidic end of the scale. The lower the number, the more acidic. The higher the number, the more basic. <clears throat> sulfuric acid. Concentrated sulfuric acid has a pH of less than 1. So here's the thing. Most tomatoes come into the range of 4.3 to 4.8. Now, where is that on the scale? Well, it's, it's both sides of our 4.6 cutoff line. So tomatoes are a peculiar exception in that Today, it's just safe to say all your tomatoes need to be acidified when you're canning them by adding two tablespoons of lemon juice per quart. And that will acidify them to the point where they're safe to water bath can. Let me just give you a few other numbers as well. Cherries, canned cherries have a pH of 3.8 to 3.9. Applesauce, 3.1 to 3.6. Apricots, 3.4 to 3.7. Plums, 3.2 to 3.3. Pears, 4.0 to 4.07. So you notice a lot of these, these fruits have a pH in the neighborhood of, of about 3 or 4. So those would be on that acidic side of the scale. If we look at pressure canning... Typically, we're pressure canning foods like vegetables and soups that have a much higher pH. These foods need, that, need a higher temperature to actually kill the potential dangerous bacteria and their spores. So we achieve those higher temperatures by putting our, our food that we're cooking under pressure. So in a pressure canner, when we heat that up, um, let's say to 10 pounds pressure, the, the boiling temperature of that water inside the container is going to reach 240 degrees. And at 240 degrees for the recommended length of time, you're going to kill that, that uh, botulism or those other very potentially dangerous bacteria. Let me give you some numbers here. Um, just a few numbers for... Uh, for some vegetables, random vegetables. Beans have a pH of 5.5 to 6.5. Asparagus, 5 to 6. Peas, 5.7 to 6. Potatoes, 5.4 to 5.9. Corn, 5.9 to 7.3. Mushrooms, 6.0 to 6.7. Squash, 5.1, 6.5. And rice, between 6 and 7. You notice all those vegetables have a much higher pH. Now, they're still on the kind of acidic side of our number seven midline um, neutral point, but they're not acidic enough to kill those potentially dangerous bacteria, so we have to pressure can them. Now, there are some safety concerns that most people um, will, will bring up and ask questions about. Number one is food spoilage, and one of the worst ones that can spoil and, and really not even show signs of it is botulism. <clears throat> we'll come back to that. The other thing that people ask about is pressure canning. Am I going to blow up my house? And uh, 
you know, how dangerous is it? Is it going to, you know, am I just putting a bomb on my, on my uh, stovetop there? Well, who can answer that question too? Spoilage, going back to the spoilage issue, spoilage comes from improper processing times, jars not sealing right, poor quality food, or poor quality equipment. Something just doesn't work right. You can, you can think of it this way. There, there are many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not more, people every year canning millions and millions of, of quarts of canned, home canned food. And we just have very, very few, a handful of records um, every year of people actually um, getting sick or dying from, uh, from uh, food spoilage. If, if you just have the ability to follow, follow up, just a few simple rules. Um, this is not hard at all. Something else to bear in mind is if you're at a higher elevation, let's say over a thousand feet, um, you need to increase the boiling time for water bath canning and the pressure for pressure canning. So think about this. If you live at, let's say, and I don't know the exact numbers, but if you live at 1,500 feet elevation, water will actually on average boil not at 212, but maybe closer to 200 degrees. Let's say you live at 3,500 feet. Water might boil actually not at 212, but at 195 degrees temperature. And so that less temperature means you're not getting that effective kill of bacteria at your standard uh, canning, water bath canning time. Um, let's say most fruits that we do, we can water bath can for 30 minutes. Um, so at these different elevations, we're going to have to extend that time because we can't, because we can't raise the boiling temperature of water because we're just stuck with that, but given our elevation, we're going to have to add time to that. And the same with pressure canning. If you live at 3,500 feet, you're going to have to add to that pressure. And there, the best thing I can tell you is, is go online and look up the, um, the charts for elevation and uh, pressure changes and increased boiling times for your pressure canning and your uh, water bath canning. So that's just something that um, just kind of need to keep in the back of your mind as well. Uh, as far as equipment you'll need, there's two, th two books that I would uh, mention just right off. Before you even start canning, I would get these two books. One of them, the first one is called Stocking Up 3, Roman numeral 3, by Carol Hupping. And it's put out by Rodale Press. Uh, her name is Carol Hupping, H-U-P-P-I-N-G. And the other book is called The Ball Blue Book. It's much smaller. The stocking up book is about two and a half inches thick, and it is the, um, uh, the reference, as far as we're concerned, for, for, uh, for home canning. It, this book also has... Uh, uh, let me pull that up here. It also has chapters on freezing fruits uh, and vegetables, canning, drying. It's got a whole section on cellaring, on pickling, on making jams and jellies and fruit butters. Uh, 
which is actually, we did a lot of uh, apple butter with our, our honey crisp apples this year, made a, a bunch of gifts, and it was just really nice to do something new. We had never really made apple butter. So we've got a method for doing it in a crock pot, just made things really, really easy. So we made just a whole bunch of uh, apple butter. There's also a section in the back of the book on nuts, seeds, grains, and sprouts. And that is also handy. There's many recipes in this book. So I would suggest find that book, Stocking Up Three, and then also that, that Ball blue, blue Book. It's a thin book, um, but also is a wealth of information. So th- those two references, um, if you're interested in canning, I'd pick those up just as soon as you could find them. As we actually look at our, our, the actual equipment that we're going to use for canning, um, we need canners, a water bath canner. And uh, if you are looking at my slides, I've kind of gone old school. Um, I've got this graniteware um, water bath canner. It's, it's blue with white spots. We also have a black one. Um, bowls, lots of large bowls, because after you... You bring your uh, fruit in in boxes. You're going to wash it. You're going to want to process it, cut it, chop it, whatever. You're going to need some other very large bowls to to put this into as you take your fruit through the various stages of processing. Obviously, you're going to need jars and rings and lids. Now, see, this is something that really caught me off guard is when the whole COVID thing hit, um, was the early part of the year, very, very quickly, we started getting into canning seasons and lids dried up across this nation. And matter of fact, it's still very difficult to get lids by themselves. Um, I'm seeing jars coming back on the shelves. So when you buy a box of uh, jars, you get the rings and the lids with them. But as far as getting the extra lids, that's probably going to be a little bit longer before those really show up on the shelf. But once they do, start, start stocking up on those lids. Um, I've got a couple years' worth of firewood in my woodshed. I've got um, uh, just things I've stocked up on in normal country living. I've, I've got enough to last, uh, you know, throughout a whole season. But, but just that lid thing, I didn't have enough lids stored uh, sitting around on my shelf to really take us well through a whole canning season. So we really had to kind of do some different things this year. Other things that are really handy, uh, that are very helpful to have, is a jar clasp for pulling those jars out of the hot water, Um, jar funnels, uh, a little lid magnet so we can pull the lids out of our, our simmering water one at a time, you need spare parts, not so much for the uh, the water bath canner, but for the pressure canner. I would, if you get a pressure canner that uses a gasket, I would get at least one spare gasket, maybe a spare gauge, and just some other spare parts, so that if something breaks right in the middle of things, you can fix it. Um, a colander, some slotted spoons. Some little tools to use for de-stemming, let's say, strawberries or or, uh, tomatoes. Uh, Something that's very handy to have is a Victorio strainer. 
that is a uh, very handy tool that uh, you can put, put your cooked apples in and turn the handle and applesauce comes out the, the chute and um, the apple peelings and core parts and the seeds will come out. Another section just makes life really easy to make applesauce. Uh, cherry pitters are really handle, handy to have and uh, also some other large kettles. And we'll be talking more about some of this later. Um, another thing, a word about jar sizes. You'll see everything out there uh, at a canning supply store or section of a, of a store. Uh, Two-quart jars, one-quart jars, uh, one-pint, half-pint, and even quarter-pint jars. And the jars that you re use really depend on the size of your family. Um, <clears throat> years and years ago, 100 years ago, um, a lot of uh, a lot of America was agrarian, and they had big families. And I would imagine that a lot of those big families were canning foods in those two-quart jars, and they would probably use a jar or two of applesauce or peaches, probably at one meal. Meal, if you know, if you've got a dozen kids, um, a two-quart jar is going to go really fast. Well, most of us don't fit into that kind of family size category today. The most standard jar that's used <clears throat> today is a one-quart jar. Uh, in the case of my wife and I, Jeannie. Our kids are grown, they've left home, so it's just the two of us. We're doing actually more and more canning in pint jars. So that could just kind of fits us better. We don't have so much sitting in the refrigerator at a time to go bad. Uh, we do have a lot of two-quart jars that we actually just use for either dry canning or for canning juices into and the smaller, the smaller containers, the pints, the half pints, the quarter pints, use those for uh, like jams and jellies and stuff like condiments, um, diced pimentos, if, you're, if you can, uh, diced pimentos. Put those in those really little jars that you don't use much of. Um, and as far as jar lid sizes, there's two sizes of jar lids. Uh, the the narrow-mouth jars and the largemouth jars. If we had it to do go over again, we would just do everything in largemouth. Um, but since we've been collecting jars, we've, uh, my wife and I have been married for 32 years, and I think pretty much most of our jars came from either hand-me-downs or, or a box or two here and there at garage sales. We've just kind of been collecting jars. And so you get this huge assortment of just about every kind of jar out there, wide mouth, narrow mouth. The narrow mouths we just use for applesauce, juices, and cherries. It's very difficult on a narrow mouth jar to, to put whole peaches, or excuse me, not whole peaches, but half uh, peach halves or pear halves in, in the jars that have those smaller tops on them. Everything else goes in the wide mouth jar because it's just so much easier to, to drop the fruit in there and arrange it so it's compact and uh, everything fits well. So we tend to do more of the wide mouth jars. We tend to also give away as gifts most of our, uh, our foods that we can. Well, let me, how do I say this? 
the 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 fruit that we can and we give away, we tend to do give away more of the small mouth or narrow mouth jars. Not that we're wishing something bad on anybody else, <laughs> but uh, uh, we're blessing other people with narrow mouth jars. Maybe we could say it that way. And the Victorio strainer, we've already mentioned that. That's a very handy tool. Actually, before we had the Victorio strainer, we were doing things the old way, and that was with a colander. Um, you'd have to see the picture here. It's a, it's a wire stand that's holding a, con- a conical-shaped colander with little holes all the way around the side and a wooden um, pestle that goes inside of that. And what we would do is we'd chop up our apples when we're making applesauce and then put it in that colander and just take that, that wooden plunger and just go around and around and around and around. And just, oh, it was just like chasing applesauce around in circles. The peels would get up against the side of that thing and plug the holes and would always have to be taking the spatula and moving the peels away. It just took forever to, uh, to use that old-style colander to do our applesauce, or, or you could actually use it also for making tomato paste. But uh, I saw a picture of that on the web when I was putting this slide presentation together, and it's, I almost had like flashbacks when I saw that. It's like, no! <laughs> um, but, you know, actually, those were good memories of, of early married life, doing things the hard way. So let's kind of step back. I've kind of explained some some basics and uh, so and the equipment. So let's kind of go through this step by step. And let's we'll go through water bath canning process step by step. And uh, this might seem a little bit backwards at first, but step number one is get all your equipment together before you get your food. Get your canner ready, your jars ready. Uh, the jars washed and, and cleaned out really well. Get your lids. The reason we want to do this is to just to make sure you don't run out of lids or jars or something else halfway through the process and then realize, oh no, I'm short on something. I don't have enough rings. I don't have enough lids. What am I going to do? And you get stuck in the middle of things. So so make sure you've got all your equipment and it's and it's brought in, it's cleaned up, and it's ready to go. Step number two is then get your food. Get your food fresh, but this is really important. Don't get it overripe or dead ripe. You will have very little time to spare if, if that food is dead ripe. Now, we've got some stories about that. Um, Jeannie will call up, uh, my wife will call up our, our, our produce guy, and she'll ask about peaches. Can I get three boxes of peaches. He says, yeah, I got peaches right now. So she runs down and gets the boxes of peaches and they are dead ripe. They have to be canned like right now, today. Um, Because tomorrow, if we save them to tomorrow, they're going to have brown spots and start bruising and it just, they won't be good tomorrow. So we've got to do it right now. And there have been a couple of times where she's stayed up most of the night to get something done that was just a little too ripe. I like to get the, the, the fruit so it still has some firmness to it. I don't like mushy fruit. I like fruit that's, 
Okay, because the fruit's going to soften up a little bit just being canned. So I like to can pears and peaches and, and those things with just some body on it so it doesn't, it doesn't have that squishiness, dead ripe, that is the stage that's, that's good for fresh eating. I like it a little bit stiffer. So, so you want to think about that is, is don't get it too late. And, uh, okay, so that's number two. Get your food. Number three, you're going to go through and you're going to wash it. You're going to core, peel. You're going to blanch or sauce it. Whatever you're going to do with it, that's number three is, is processing. Cleaning it, cutting it, coring it, whatever. And now bear in mind, this is where things also start getting busy because you're going to start multitasking. Um, you can do this before or after. I've got this as, as step number four, but but this multitasking comes in where, okay, you've washed your fruit. You're going to put the water bath canner on the stove, about half full of water. You're going to put a, a kettle on the stove on simmer to uh, to heat up your lids in a, in a kettle full of water, just a small saucepan of water. You're going to simmer those lids for a few minutes just to soften up the seal. And you're also going to put a kettle on the stove that has the liquid in it that you're going to pour in over that fruit once you get the fruit packed into the jars. In the old days, um, we used a very light syrup, so it's a little bit of sugar and water. Then we went to uh, putting in a tablespoon of honey in each jar and then pouring boiling, boiling water over that. For the probably the last 10, 15 years, we buy uh, uh, containers of organic apple juice down at the local store. And we can almost all of our fruits in apple juice, organic apple juice. Um, it's, it's got just enough sweetness in it to kind of pick up the sweetness so that your canned fruit's not so tart. And you kind of kill two stones with one bird. You've got the sweetener and you've got that, that uh, liquid. And something that we actually just started this year, actually with our 300 pounds of apples, is it just dawned on us this year that, wait a minute, why are we buying two quart containers of organic apple juice at five and six dollars a, uh, a container when we've got all these apples, let's do a bunch of apple juicing. So we juiced a ton of apples and we canned it in those two quart jars. And so next year, when we do our canning, we're going to use our own apple juice from this year uh, to can all our fruits in. So we're saving money in that respect. So another process that I just briefly mentioned is this idea of blanching. Um, uh, so let's see, that would be like maybe tomatoes and peaches. When you can stewed tomatoes, I don't know, some people do leave the peelings on, but uh, most people will blanch those skins. And blanching is a process by which you're dropping your, your, uh, your tomatoes or your peaches in boiling hot water for about 60 seconds. Then you're using that slotted spoon to pull them out and then drop them into ice cold water to stop the, uh, the cooking process. What happens when you do that is the skin 
will just slip right off the, that uh, tomato or that peach very, very easy. The skin just like slides right off. And then once you've got the, for instance, if we're doing tomatoes, we can just slide that skin off and then pull the tomato all into to, uh, to chunks. It goes into a, a large bowl that gets stirred up and then put into jars. If we're doing peaches, we'll slip the skins off by the blanching process and then we simply either cut the peaches in halves or slices, put them in the jar, and then they're ready to go. So blanching is a good technique to know about. Number five, we want to put our fruit into our jars. So once we've washed and prepped and sliced, peeled, or cored, or whatever we're needed to do, we put that fruit into our jars, and we kind of pack it down, not to the point where it's mashed in, but just we've snugly put all that fruit in there. And then we add that hot apple juice that we've had simmering on the stove. And what we want to do is we want to add that apple juice right up to the, the first glass ring above the shoulder of that jar. So in the end, we're going to give ourselves about a half to three quarters of an inch headspace or airspace in that jar. So once we've poured the, the hot um, liquid in around that fruit, Number six, we're going to take a spatula and we're going to turn it around. We're going to use the handle, the plastic handle of a spatula. And we're just going to slide it down between the fruit and the side of the jar on all four sides of that jar and just kind of gently nudge the fruit. Because what has happened when you poured that liquid in is you've trapped air bubbles underneath uh, those pieces of fruit oftentimes. And as you slide that spatula handle in and just kind of wiggle it a little bit, on the four sides of the jar, those air bubbles will come up, and often you'll notice the liquid level goes down. So you're going to add a little bit more liquid. And at that point, number seven, this is a very important thing to do. You're going to take a clean rag and just wipe very gently. You're going to clean the top edge or uh, rim of that jar uh, so it's, it doesn't have any juice on it. It doesn't have any little pieces of fruit or um, or salt, if you've added salt to the tomatoes, you don't want anything on that, uh, on that rim of that jar because that's where the seal is going to take place between the glass and the lid. Something else is very important to do is before you've even started this whole process, you've checked your jars and you take out any jars that have a, a chip on that on that um, rim of that jar, because if it's got a little chip across the top edge of that jar, it's not going to seal. So we've got the fruit in the jars, we've got the water in the jars, we've got the air bubbles out, we've added more liquid. Now we clean that jar rim off so it's all nice. And then we put our lids on and our rings on. And when we're putting the rings on, we're just taking the ring down and we're screwing it on till it just hits the lid and then just like another 16th of a turn, just enough to just to make that lid snug. We're not tightening it at all, just a, a nice snug fit. And then number, where are we up to? We're up to number nine. We're putting the jars in our canner. Now, if you notice here, we've got a jar rack that holds the jars um, that we're going to lower down into that water bath canner. 
And the way that uh, rack is made, it's made so that it hooks on the side of the canner so the jars actually aren't down into the water just yet. So what I'll do is I'll put the jars, and it'll hold, your average canner will hold about seven jars. Um, I will put the jars in there, and I'll just leave them there for a minute to make sure that, okay, I want the jars fairly warm, fairly hot, and the water has started to simmer in that canner, uh, what you want to avoid is having the jars at a, at a drastically different temperature than that water underneath of them. You don't want that. If, if you do have, maybe the jar liquid wasn't quite so hot, maybe it was kind of cool even, which you shouldn't do. You should have heated that, that, that liquid up. <clears throat> but just have those jars set above that hot liquid just for a few minutes so it warms up. And then you can take that jar rack and lower it down into the, the water bath canner. At that point, usually your water is not covering your jars. So then you would go ahead and add more water so that those jars are covered by at least an inch of water. You want those jars completely submerged in your water. So in the picture um, that we have here, uh, I've got a water bath canner full of grape juice. So we've got to just let that down in there. We're going to turn the temperature of the stove all the way up. And as soon as that water starts boiling in that water bath canner, we're going to put the timer on for 30 minutes. Now, again, everything you, you do at a different amount of time. So I would refer you back to your book for grape juice um, that we do. Uh, we boil it for 30 minutes in those jars. After the, the 30 minutes is up, we turn the heat off. Um, we take the lid off, and then we take that jar rack and just move it to the up position so the jars are mostly out of that water. And they will start cooling a bit. And then what we'll do is we'll lay out a, ta a towel on the table, and then we'll take those jars out one at a time and put them on that towel. And uh, we want to put them in an area, not in front of a window where they're going to get a cold draft, but just set them out on that tail, the towel, so they're not sitting hot jars on, on our wood table, uh, which might damage the table. And then we're going to sit back and listen for the canning music. What's going to happen is, as those jars cool down, it's going to pull that lid down, and it's going to make a nice ringing pop that tells us that jar has sealed and that's just the neatest, uh, the neatest sound to hear is, is you've, you've spent all this work canning all of these jars of food. They're sitting on your table because they're, they're all out of the, the canner. And then for the next hour or so, you're listening to that sound of those lids popping in. And that's just, that's just music to a canner's ears. So... That's a basic rundown of water bath canning. Pressure canning is almost the same. We'll go down this through this really quick, but there's a few things that are a little bit different. Um, number one, you get your equipment ready. Number two, your food, you get your food ready. Number three, you, you food prep, you peel, core, wash, whatever. Number four, you're adding your food to your jars. You're adding the liquid up to the shoulder ring. You're removing the air bubbles. You're adding a little bit more liquid to bring us up to our headspace. All of this is the same for pressure canning. And number six, um, 
your jar rim is cleaned, and you put your rings and your lids on. Now, this is where it gets different. On a pressure canner, you only put one to two inches of water in the bottom of that pressure canner because you don't need to submerse your jars because you're using mostly steam to pressurize that container. So just one to two inches of water in the bottom of your pressure cooker. You put your jars in the canner, and then you lock the lid down. Now, there's several ways that this happens, and you'll see a couple pictures that I've, I've got. You lock that lid down, and the pressure canner has on the lid several little items of interest that we want to look at. One of them is called a petcock. Um, some of them have a, a petcock that has a little black knob on the top that you can open and close. Some of them simply have a stem, a pointy stem that sticks up out of the lid that's open and that can blow steam out of that little top. So we've got our, our jars in our canner. We've locked the lid down on the canner. We put it on the stove. We turn the stove up. And we're going to get that water in that canner to start boiling. Now, after it's started to boil, you're going to start blowing steam out of that petcock. And you want the petcock open, and you want it to start blowing steam for about 10 minutes. And what that's doing is that steam is pushing all the air out of that pressure canner. You're pushing all the air out and filling that volume of space in there with steam instead. After you've steamed out for about 10 minutes, then you just really close, carefully close that petcock. Or if you've just got the canner that has that little stem sticking up with the open hole on the top, you take a, this little round disc, and I can show you a picture right there on the uh, uh, right-hand side of the screen. There's a little disc, and it's got three numbers on the side of it. See, there's a 5, a 10, and a 15. Most of what we do is at the number 10, which means 10 pounds of pressure. So when you take that little metal puck, as it were, and you put it down onto that stem that's sticking up out of the lid of your pressure cooker, that hole is designed so that it burps out any pressure over 10 pounds pressure. So it self-regulates. But let me go back a little bit. Um, here we have uh, one of our canners. Now, our canners are kind of old-school canners. Um, they were made probably back in the 50s. If you notice in this picture here, you've got some alignment marks. So look around the edge of your pressure canner to find those little marks that you align up, and then rotate that lid into the locking position. That helps guide you so that you can put that, just drop that lid on, and the little lugs lock into each other, and it locks that lid on. Notice the next item there is a pressure gauge. And then usually right in the middle, well, of our cooker, I've seen um, safety plugs off to the side on that lid, but our little safety plug is right in the center of that lid, and that safety plug is there so that if, for instance, I forget about what I'm doing and I go into the other room and I, I don't know, I start reading a book or something, and my pressure goes way up above safe range, that safety plug is going to pop out of there so that the whole thing just doesn't blow up. So it's very important to have that safety plug in there. And if you buy a used canner, 
feel that safety plug and make sure it feels like soft rubber. If it feels really hard, um, like it just wants to rattle around in there and it just doesn't feel like rubber anymore, go ahead and pop that out and get a replacement that's fresh and new. And then you notice in my picture here, I've got a pet cock there on the back of the lid that has a little black knob on it that I can open and close. So we've put our stuff in there. We've, we've steamed it out for 10 minutes. I've turned the little knob on that pet cock down, so now the steam cannot get out of there. And what you'll notice is my stove's up on high. You'll see the pressure on that gauge actually starting to come up. And as that pressure comes up, um, what we'll want to do is watch that pressure. So let's say we're going for 10 pounds pressure. When that pressure gets up to about 9 pounds, so 90% of your final target pressure, you're going to turn that stove down. And it all depends on your stove and your canner. We know that for our stove and our canner, once we reach 9 pounds pressure and we're going to 10, we turn that stove down to 2.5 on our stove dial. And it will go ahead and come up to 10 pounds, and it will just stay right at that 10 pounds um, for as long as we want to pressure can things. So, so once you do this a while, you know just right where to set that, that stove temperature to keep that pressure exactly where you want it. Now, if that's with our, uh, our pressure cooker that has that little petcock that's shut off. If you've got the pressure cooker that's got that little rocker, that round rocker puck on it, you can just set that on, turn your stove down a little bit, and and all the extra pressure is just going to burp out as it's um, as needed to maintain, say, ten pounds pressure. So, actually, the the little rocker puck there is something that's a lot more forgiving, and would be good for for beginners. So. And there's actually some more options. Here's a picture of a canner that is a lot more heavy-duty. And instead of a locking lid, it's got these little knobs that come up over the lid. There's six little knobs there that screw that lid down. The advantage of this pressure cooker, other than it's really heavy-duty, is that it doesn't require a rubber gasket or seal in it. So it's one less part to fail. It's a, a, a tapered metal-on-metal metal seal between the lid and the body. So, so once you turn those knobs down, it's metal-on-metal metal seal. And uh, that's, a, that's also a good canner as well. And you notice on the lid of that, on the left, there's a pressure gauge. There's a handle in the middle. And then off on the right-hand side of that picture, of that particular canner, there is a little round rocker. To, uh, to keep the pressure where it needs to be. So let's just quickly go through a pressure canning scenario. So last year we had a pretty good wild mushroom season. So let's do a mushroom run here. So my first picture there is the mushrooms out in the wild. And uh, I go out and I pick a whole bunch of mushrooms, several grocery bags full, and I bring them back home. And I wash them up. So you can see the, the sink full of mushrooms there. Now, I'm going to do something different with mushrooms that I haven't talked about yet. Mushrooms, when you cook them, shrink up enormously. So 
So I'm taking that sink full of mushrooms and I'm putting it in a kettle. Now that kettle is going to be mounded up as high as I can get it oftentimes. And I'm going to add like a cup of water, maybe a cup and a half water. Not very, well, not very much water at all to the bottom of that kettle. And I'm going to turn it up about halfway and I'm going to start cooking those mushrooms. Well, as that water starts heating those mushrooms up, they are going to shrink a lot. And uh, mushrooms, actually, uh, if you ever can mushrooms, it's not recommended to put them in quartz. Mushrooms really need to go into pint jars or smaller. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to cook down those mushrooms. And if you see this picture here on the left, that whole sink full of mushrooms cooked down to about half of a pot. Uh, huge reduction in volume. And this is what we call hot packing our jars. And uh, we'll come back to that. So, so that sink full of mushrooms actually cooked down to six pints of mushrooms. So you see our metal picture there? We've got our mushrooms. They're all spooned into the, uh, into the jars, uh, about three-quarters of an inch below the top of the jar, so we maintain our headspace. And then we're going to use that same liquid. Uh, it's kind of a broth now at this point that the mushrooms cook themselves in. And we scoop that, we use that liquid to fill up the jars. And then we also put, I believe it's a half teaspoon of salt in each jar just to taste um, for our chanterelle mushrooms that, we, uh, that we're uh, processing here. And then we clean the, the, the rim of the jar off, make sure there's no salt or anything on that rim. We put our lids on, screw the, the ring on. And we put them in our pressure canner. There you can see our jars are in the pressure canner. We close the lid off. We steam it out for 10 minutes. Turn, close our petcock. And you'll see the middle picture there. We get our 10, our 10 pounds pressure. And for instance, mushrooms, at 10 pounds pressure, we're running those for 45 minutes. So we know... At 9 pounds pressure, turn our stove down, it comes up to 10, and it just stays there. And then we put a timer on, and we make sure to watch this, because, you know, you never know. Something could go wrong, and the pressure could keep climbing. And uh, we want to make sure that that does not happen. So when you start pressure canning, stay there and just watch that whole process for the first dozen or two times. Uh, so you understand what's happening. You understand how it's working. And then once you, once you come to, to understand the whole process and, and be aware of what's going on there, you can start cleaning some stuff up and just keep an eye on that. Make sure it's still at the right poundage of pressure and everything's going to work fine. So we've, we've, our timer goes off. Our 45 minutes of pressure canning is done. What we're going to do is we're going to turn our stove off. We're not going to move the pressure canner. We're just going to turn the heat off. And just from that point, let it cool down on its own. We're not going to open that little petcock or try to hurry the cooling at all. But we're going to watch for some signs that it's completely cool to the point that we can take that lid off. One of those signs that we're going to look at is that the gauge goes down to zero. Not to two, not to three, but that, that gauge is going down to zero, saying it's zero pounds pressure. 
The other thing that we're going to look at here in this picture is our little safety plug. And if you notice, the little safety plug has a little metal plug right in the middle of it. And when that little metal plug is poked up, like you see in the left-hand picture, um, that tells us there's still a little bit of pressure in that, in that uh, canner. When that little metal plug, plug drops down, like you see in the right-hand picture, that tells you, you, if you bump that little metal thing, you'll, you'll notice it wiggles around. That's because there's no poundage of pressure inside that, uh, that canner. And then, ever so gently, we open the petcock, and sure enough, no steam comes out of the petcock. At that point, we've had three indications that there's no pressure inside there. Then we carefully rotate the lid and unlock it. And at that point, open the lid away from you not towards you, because there's still going to be a lot of very hot steam inside that canner. So open the lid away from you, and then just gently set it aside. And you can let it sit like that for a minute or two, but and then start pulling the, uh, the jars out. So I want to come back to this idea of, um, of hot packing. If you look at this slide here, we've got a jar of blueberries, plums, and tomatoes. These are all cold-packed. And if you notice what has happened, the fruit has really shrunk, shrunk up on these three items. The blueberries, you notice, it's shrunk up by 50%. So the bottom half of that jar is just simply full of blueberry juice. The plums there in the middle, you notice, is almost a third of the jar now is just juice because the plums have shrunk up. Now, I packed that jar tight full of plums when I put those in there. And the tomato, you can see about a quarter of the space on the bottom is just juice. When you cold pack, fruit shrinks. Now, if you're limited on your space or on your jars and you want to be really efficient, you would pre-cook that food so it, is, so it shrinks, and then you can pack it in the jars. Now, there's some pluses and minuses here. The more you cook that food, the more you're cooking out nutrients. So you're losing nutrients by pre-cooking and hot packing. Um, but you don't get all that shrinkage and it's a more efficient use of your jars. But on the other hand, pre-cooking or hot packing is just one more step that's going to take more work. And most of the time, you know, we've got plenty of jars. We don't, we don't care if they're half full. Um, but it does give you a lot of extra liquid like uh, what you see in the picture there. So, uh, so that's kind of another aspect that you will see coming up in, in the literature. There's hot packing versus cold packing. The, the picture that I showed you with the mushrooms, you just you have to hot pack them. Otherwise, you're only going to get like one mushroom per jar, and that's kind of crazy. Because it's going to shrink up to something very, very tiny. Um, as far as troubleshooting pressure canning, I've just listed out a couple of things that I've occasionally experienced. And that is, number one, the pressure canner lid won't seal. You'll see a little shoot, uh, jet of steam coming out between the lid and the actual kettle. What has happened is that gasket has pulled away a little bit and it, the gasket isn't in place. Oftentimes, and when the gasket starts getting smaller, it will shrink. And so what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and turn the stove off. I'll take the lid off. And then just ever so gently 
while that gasket is still hot, I'll stretch it out just a tiny bit and then put it back in the lid channel. Um, if the gasket is not hot, I'll, I'll soak it in some really, really hot water. Anyway, I want to stretch that gasket out, and then I'll put it back, and it will usually seal. Another thing, the canner won't vent out that little stem or out the petcock. The pressure is building up. You see that gauge starting to go up. It's maybe at four pounds, five pounds pressure, but nothing's coming out of that petcock or out of the little stem that you're going to put the rocker on. That's important to notice. There is something obstructing that, and you, you've got to just turn the whole thing off, cool it down, so it's zero pounds pressure. Take the lid off and clean out that little orifice in there to, and make sure that it's open, you can see light through it, and you can get steam through it. Another thing that will happen occasionally if, if you start getting a little bit overconfident and you get carried away doing things elsewhere in the kitchen, you might come back in that canner. Instead of at 10 pounds pressure, it might be at 16 pounds pressure. That's getting way too high. So at that point, ooh, keep your face away from the canner and just as carefully as you can, reach around and turn that stove off. And just stay away from it. Don't move the canner. You don't want to jostle it. You don't want to touch it. You just want to turn the heat off and let it come down to that below 10 pounds, bring it down into 8, 9 pounds pressure. And then you can go ahead and turn the stove on just a little bit and, and then bring it back to where it's supposed to be, our 10 pounds pressure. But just be really careful about um, getting that thing too high. Because what's going to happen is troubleshooting number four there. You're going to blow a safety plug. Now, this is going to scare the bejeebers out of you if it ever happens. We've had it happen. <laughs> it's funny now, but it wasn't then. Because it, it's, you get your hair standing straight up on you. You hear this huge hissing boom not really a boom more like a big pop and you get this jet of steam coming out the top of your canner and again it's it's really not dangerous but it's blown that rubber plug um, and it's hit the ceiling and it, it'll be somewhere in your kitchen you have to go hunt for it but but there's a, a really good chance that for instance if you're canning beans you're going to spray beans all over the ceiling with that massive, massive decompression. Their beans are just going to come out of the jars. And you're going to make a mess. So what do you do? Just turn the burner off and wait till everything cools down, clean the ceiling, clean the walls, and learn something and start over. Um, but other than that, that rarely ever happens. Once you do this a time or two, it becomes old hat. If, if it still kind of stresses you out a little bit, start off with water bath canning. Um, go through a few seasons just doing water bath canning. And then get with a friend that knows how to do this stuff and uh, watch some YouTube videos. And then go ahead and try canning some beans, canning some you know, asparagus. This canned asparagus to me is just really, really good because uh, it just melts in your mouth. I like that. Uh, I like asparagus soft. Um, but, uh, that's pretty much it. You know, it's not as scary as it might seem. I've, I've given you a lot of information, but you can do it. Um, and when you do, it's going to make you so happy when you start filling up your, um, uh, your storage room with canned goods.
Um, learn, and that's another thing, is once you've got this stuff all canned up, learn how to use it. Don't just bring a jar of canned fruit, for instance, to the table and pull the lid off and expect everybody to be excitedly eating out of a jar of canned cherries, for instance. Learn how to use it. Well, yeah, there's times when we just pour fruit, fruit right out of a jar, but but you can make crisps out of it. You can do you just can do so many things with it. You can thicken it and put it on toast or uh, pancakes and waffles in the morning. But I uh, just want to end with this picture here. Doesn't that just look beautiful? Um, that's that's just like so often that makes you feel good. That is therapy for your heart, and your mind, and your brain. So just want to thank you all for coming today and just appreciate um, what I could share with you folks. And uh, I hope that uh, it has been a benefit to you. So thank you very much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.